Whoa, 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 whoa. There's still plenty of meat on that bone. Now you take this home, throw it in a pot, add some broth, a potato. Baby, you got a stew going. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Talking Smack, where we talk superheroes, movies, animation, comics, and much, much more. I'm your host, Josh Scar, and joining me, as always, is my co-host, Alex. Alex, how you doing? Doing fantastic. I'm enjoying the spring weather, and I'm excited for a lineup, because you know what? I am curious about what you're doing. <laughs> and because it is a What You Doing episode, we are making it an ensemble, and we are, of course, joined by Matt. This is one of his staple episodes. Matt... I know you're not doing great, but how you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm I'm uh, a little sick, but I'm powering through. How about you guys? How's it going? Fan freaking tastic. I'm doing okay, but uh, as you guys heard with the intro music, I'm a little sad because we did have the passing of Carl Weathers this past weekend, or at least the news of his passing. I think he passed away sometime mid last week. The news of his passing hit me kind of hard. Um, I wasn't really expecting it. He's not a guy that like I followed his career or anything, but he's a guy that brought me a lot of joy that I didn't really realize until thinking about it with his passing. Because like, yeah, he's in Mando. There's a little bit of recency bias with you do the wavy hand thing. Get, baby, you do the wavy hand thing. But like I was looking back on his career and he was so versatile he never seemed like a guy that let his ego get the better of making good sound acting and business decisions. When I, if you would have told 12 year old Josh who watched happy Gilmore, like once a week for the (laughs) entire summer of 1996, (laughs) that Chubbs was also Apollo Creed. Like I probably wouldn't have believed you because it's such a vastly different character especially nowadays when you have characters like Dwayne, the rock Johnson who refuse to look stupid. Mm -hmm. This is a guy who was an equal with Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger in respective roles in movies. And like, while he had, he like lost in Rocky two and he died in the predator or I'm sorry, in predator. Um, The predator is a different movie. It's still astounding to me that, Action Jackson, the guy who came on to Arrested Development almost kind of on a whim because he wanted to make sure they weren't going to portray him as the Predator and the Rocky guy. Uh, Instead, he had this idea of like, what if I'm a down on my luck actor who is just trying to penny pinch? It, It just it's so out of the norm for what the Hollywood action star is. And I was like, man, we did not appreciate this this guy while we still had him, at least not in the way I think he truly deserved. For by all accounts, especially since the news of his passing came out, he's, um, you know, a very like nice guy, very like um, good to work with. And obviously, like you mentioned, he could, he was very versatile and he was willing to make fun of himself because, you know, on Arrested Development, he is playing a, like a comedic version of himself. It's not like Carl Weathers playing actor Joe Schmo. He's playing Carl Weathers. Obviously, like I said, exaggerated, but it is, you know, that's him being willing to kind of roll with it and laugh at himself a little bit, which is nice. Yeah. Cause guys, guys in that action vein, especially from 1990 to now, 
they're very protective of their personas and what they can do. And like we we've seen it where they can kind of poke fun of themselves or they take on comedic roles like the rock had the tooth fairy. Uh, Vin Diesel had the nanny or whatever that the babysitter or whatever that one was called. Arnold Schwarzenegger was had the junior movie and he's done other comedic things. But like for the most part, they're very protective of their personas where Carl Weathers was just like, if it sounds like a good idea, let's give it a shot. It it just the news of his passing didn't hit me kind of kind of the same as um, Chadwick Boseman because Chadwick Boseman was in his mid 40s where Carl Weathers was in his late 70s. So like that's not unsurprising, but still just to wake up one day or open Twitter one afternoon and like, oh, Carl Weathers passed away. Like, ah, that sucks. But I just wanted to call that out and say we're dedicating this episode to him, even though it's not necessarily Carl Weathers centric, um, but just an appreciation for who he was as an actor and seemingly as he was as a person and just willing to do what it took to not only continue to work in the industry, but to make people happy. And like I said, his, his role as Chubbs in happy Gilmore is one that I'm going to remember forever, just because that's a, a big part of that, that movie. Like everyone knows, just tap it in, just give it a little tap. <laughs> no, it's just really depressing because he just seemed to enjoy being a, you know, a working actor there's i mean we have in the last 10 years as streaming's become a thing we've seen like oh my gosh you know this movie star is now switching over and going to do a tv show or oh or um there's a famous case where the divergent series wanted to be finished off as like a tv movie and the the lead actor said uh no i make movies you know he looked at his career he did rocky he was apollo creed in rocky 1976 and the next year an unnamed role in close encounters of the third kind mp officer this is a guy who just enjoyed working doing you know he did stints on six million dollar man kung fu uh the tv shows like the defiant ones and tour of duty and other and in the heat of the night and stuff like that and then just kind of bounce back and forth you just he just plugged away and that's really admirable. Very well said. Um, but with that, we're going to take a break here from our friends, Karen and Ann over at sugarcoated murder. And we'll be back to talk about what you're doing. Hey, Ann Barner. Hey, Karen Beatty. We need a promo. You know, like where we talk about what we do on our podcast. On our sugar-coated murder podcast? Like how we love to bake and talk about murder? That's what we need to talk about. There you go. I think we've talked about it. Y'all find us on all your favorite listening apps. Stay sweet. And don't murder. Because if you kill people, we will talk about you. And you don't want anyone talking about you, especially two wonderful ladies from the South who love to bake sweets while discussing true crime. So don't do it. It's not worth it unless you really need to do it for some reason. Unless you really want to. I mean, it's, it's a free country, I guess. I mean, I don't care if they talk about me. When I, I guess we know shit, I, gotta, I have some murder to do. <laughs> and they will talk about you. Um, well, I guess we know what Matt's doing. So, Alex, <laughs> what you doing? 
I'm going to start off with a quick rant because I'm mad at myself. Isn't that all you do? How dare you? (laughs) So they've decided to remaster a controversial game from the past that it was only three years old called The Last of Us Part Two. They say they wanted to enhance it to really take more usage of the PS5's power and blah, 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 blah. You watch any video about the differences in the, you know, the upgrade and there's not much if anything you might get a little bit less blooming some of the you know some of the um the field of view is a little bit uh, has more depth but the thing that ticks me off is they could have made it a free upgrade for those of us who bought it on the ps4 but no you have to pay ten dollars for it well yeah they stopped doing that they said a couple years ago they were gonna stop doing that unfortunately and yet they still do it for other games because I just bought a PS4 in the last nine months. I mean, sorry, PS5. And I have put in my other games and got the free upgrade. Well, I think it's a thing where like, I mean, I'm not, to be to be clear, I don't disagree with you. I think it is bad. I think $70 games are silly, but I think it's a thing where it's like they're grandfathered in, but like going forward, any new games will be, they're going to make you pay, right. which sucks. I think the last one they did was like the second uh, Horizon game. Mm-hmm. They were like, because they were they were going to do that charge, and people were pissed, and they were like, "All right, okay, fine, we won't." But from now on, you guys are going to pony up. The thing that I find bullshit is that it's a three-year-old game. It looks fantastic on the PS4. It looks fantastic on PS5. But they they have to catch. They have to basically find an excuse to get money out of their failed project, the Last of Us multiplayer game, which they can't. And so what do they do? They decided to take some of the assets, roll it in, say this is remastered, and put out a basically a, um, a roguelike version, you know, as a free part of the upgrade, uh, as a remaster, so they can try to get $10 off it. Now, mind you, I'm a sucker, so I did it, because I paid the $10 to upgrade from the PS4 to PS5, because my PS4 may very well die eventually, and I want to you know play it looking great and i want to try this mode but the thing that ticks me off the most about it is that just and i didn't realize it until after i had done the upgrade they had my ten dollars that god of war valhalla did the exact same thing but didn't charge you for it when they dumped oh sorry god of war ragnarok did a free release of a roguelike mode called valhalla in december to celebrate that they had been you know, nominated as Game of the Year. And so, yes, I'm just pissed. Because you know if it's successful enough, because, mind you, there's idiots like me who gave, who gave their money, that games that are a year and a half, two years old, will suddenly have a remastered edition come out with, like, a, to- and a little add-on, you know, one gig, you know, one gig game mode so they can get another $10 out of you, another 15 another 20 They just want to... And I'm already pissed enough. I, I you I've already done this before, where I'm deep in the Destiny ecosystem, where I have to pay to continue to play this stupid game that is monetized out the ass. Where every week they try to get you to spend twenty dollars on a new skin, and I've never done it. I refuse to, because <laughs> I'm already paying you know fifteen dollars every three months for the seasons and seventy dollars every damn year for the expansion pack. But that game studios now consider a game that is less than four years old 
that was released simultaneously on PS4 and PS5 in need of a remaster. And you sit there and you look at it on your 65 inch 4K TV of like, what is the difference? And it's like, oh, wow, that pixel popped into view one second earlier. Damn, that did not enhance my life at all. Well, it's interesting because, you know, I think this is a thing that has already been happening. Um, You just see it usually more. It's usually closer to when the console life cycle restarts, right? Because Mm -hmm. The Last of Us Part 1 comes out on PS3, and then within a year, it's got a remastered version on PS4. Granted, on PS4, you couldn't play PS3 games. It's part of the reason there. Um, But then they remake The Last of Us, the original one, um, even though you can play the PS4 version on the PS5, and it still looks great. So I'm there's there's a degree to which like I'm kind of surprised I didn't do this earlier because the original The Last of Us was a PS4 game. It came out before the PS5 came out, right? But it was in a similar space to the original game where it was like a big original PlayStation game that is coming out right at the end of the life cycle. So I'm I'm honestly surprised they did not do some kind of remaster sooner. Um, which is not, again, not to take away from your point, because I think that they're, you're onto something there where it is, and there's also just, this is just something that Naughty Dog seems interested in doing. Um, I'm, I'm sure part of the, the factoring in of this remaster as well is the quote unquote synergy of season two of The Last of Us starting to film soon. So they sure. want to have that shiny new version that people are going to be able to pick up and play and be like, Oh yeah, look at how close this is compared to the, the show in the movie or not the, the show in the game. Yeah. And you want to get people who like, you know, the, I think the business reasoning is like, okay, this is a PS4 game that can play on PS5, but somebody who's coming in and maybe just watch the show and wants to see what's up. They may not seek out a PS4 game and odds are they're going to find it used, which means we don't make any money off of that on top of people like, you and you know i've considered it i'll be honest um where you're like oh, i'm gonna pay 10 bucks to upgrade even if I, even if i don't even like the game as you do not <laughs> and you're just curious to see what the update updates are it's one of those interesting weird and usually bad things about the game industry that i think the last of us in the last couple of years has been particularly bad about because you know i think the first game didn't need a remake i think you know i've heard some people talk sugar about this new mode but I don't think it needed a full new $70 release, but you know, if a game company can resell you a game, they're gonna look at Nintendo. Yep. Well, yeah. Nintendo is still selling games from the nineties for full price. Well, when Nintendo does it, it's good. Cause I like those games. <laughs> of course. Of course. And Shigeru Miyamoto is my friend. And, and all the Nintendo <laughs> fanboys then go after a poor game studio who, makes the Pokemon game we've all wanted our entire lives. Okay. That's not what that game is, but all right. <laughs> it's Pokemon. I don't guns, know man. What, what we're talking about there. Pal World. Game over is... 22 million players oh, in, World. The, in the past 10 days. That game is uh, <laughs> Minecraft with Pokemon with guns. Not exactly <laughs> what people have been clamoring for. Oh, people are, you're telling me 22 million people in 10 days is wrong. <laughs> I'm saying, I think that maybe the, uh, the impetus there is not, oh, this is finally a Pokemon game we've been wanting forever. As a mm-hmm. longtime Pokemon player, I will say that I've never been like, oh, I wish I could 
put my Pokemon to work and do bullshit crafting. Right. You just want the same re- uh, release every every six months or so. I can't get what into are this we up to right now. Pokemon. <laughs> this is, uh, this is and what you're doing, not what you're griping. <laughs> Alex, the, the interim soundbite seems to be aptly appropriate because, man, you've been stewing, but I think it's time to... Well, I'm done. If, if Matt had just said, yeah, I agree, that's kind of bullshit versus, you know what? I'm going to don't you dare come after those capitalist hearts of those video game companies. And how dare you be smirched <laughs> Nintendo re-releasing Pokemon at full price every six months? OK, OK, first of all, OK, <laughs> Jesus, I, not the I know spirit of the episode. I know you're making a joke. That's not what they do. <laughs> but also, I said several times that I don't disagree with you. <laughs> You can't hear it, but we're actually laughing because we're just giving each other shit. <laughs> I'm taking I'm sorry, it personally. We're smiling. And so is you my good friend, Shigeru Mimoto. <laughs> and isn't Reggie your dad? Reggie is my dad. <laughs> I knew it! That's can- that, that's been canon on the show for a while. I just had to... I had to make sure people refresh. know. Yep, exactly. All right, man. Um, what you doing? Really? <laughs> oh, there we go. It's quiet, Josh. <laughs> Fine, I'll move on. Matt, well, what I'm you doing? A- I've also been a real gamer boy recently. Um, speaking of uh, Sony projects that I'm not positive need to exist, but I played them anyway. I think maybe probably had a little better time than Alex did is uh, after four years picking away at it since it came out in I think March, 2020 um, cast your mind back to those fun days. I finally finished Final Fantasy VII Remake ahead of the release of Final Fantasy VII Rebirth later this month. So refresh me real quick. Rebirth is like chapter two of the Final Fantasy VII Remake. Correct. Yes, they are. They they did this. They are doing a big series. I think at this point they've settled on a trilogy of games remaking Final Fantasy VII. Which I'm a bit bivalent about, and I've never been a person who's like, this game needs a remake. Um, the, f- the first game was pretty much just the Midgar portion of the game, which if you don't know Final Fantasy VII, it's like, in the original game, it's the first five, ten hours of the game where you're in this sort of cyber, not cyberpunk, like dystopian steampunk city, sort of steam, and eh, not steampunk, but, you know, it's kind of like a modern city that's all fucked up. It's It looks a little Resident Evil, Raccoon City-ish. Sure. Yeah, and that, that that's what the focus of this for that first game was, and then the next game will be from the point at which like the characters get out into the open world to question mark. I don't think they've said exactly where it ends yet. And then the third game presumably is however they're going to tackle the end of the game. Um, and it's a it's a game where like I really like the it's gorgeous. Like I was playing, I finished it off on PS Five, and I think that was another one that did come with a free upgrade. And I, then I played the uh, PS5 specific DLC, um, but it looks great and I enjoy playing it for the most part. Like the combat is this really interesting, it's like a real time action game, but it's trying to splice in some of the like turn-based combat of the original as well, where like, you know, you can control any of the characters in your party, but also you can open up a menu and tell Tifa or whoever to go do this attack or whatever else. It is because it is a full game that is covering what was originally like five hours. It is, there are definitely points where I'm like, oh, I see. You just took like a thing that was a single screen in the original game and 
expanded it to <laughs> like a 30 minute sequence in this game. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely like a love it, uh, you know, love hate relationship, but overall, you know, I enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to rebirth maybe despite my reservations. I don't know. So um, good. So this is my my question because I I love Final Fantasy VII. I have not I have not played the remake. I'm going to wait until they're done with all three of them. Just sure. like when they announced StarCraft two, and I'm like I've been waiting for StarCraft two forever. Oh, we're splitting to three. Okay, yeah, three I'm going to wait to three because screw you guys. But the first game, put in things that Josh might properly understand. It's only about ten percent of the game. It's like it's like you getting the hobbits out of the Shire. Yeah. That's about yeah. how far into the epic that is Final Fantasy VII. That the first game Why am was. I being singled out in this because <laughs> <laughs> you haven't played Final Fantasy VII. How no, do you know I've never played Final Fantasy VII? Have you played Final Fantasy VII? No. Okay, <laughs> there we go. So, <laughs> I. How do they go? But that's from not just... the point. <laughs> <laughs> so how do they go from Midgard? And they're going to have a second game. I mean, because famously, I remember. So Final Fantasy VII was three discs. And yeah. there was literally a sequence where you're on like a submarine at the end of the second disc. And if you step into like a tunnel, you had to f- switch discs. Yep. <laughs> and it was a great grind point. So basically you would beat the battle there, have to switch disc, hit the save, then go, then put the disc back, go back through the tunnel, put the second disc back in. And it was a great way to grind. Yeah. How, are, are they going to stop at that tunnel? <laughs> That's a good question. That's the thing is, I don't know. Um, and it, yeah, and it, I mean, if it, the first one is anything to go by, they make it more of a like, quote unquote, modern RPG in terms of like, oh, it's kind of open worldy, not really open worldy, but like you can kind of travel between various zones at most of the time. And, you know, there's side quests and, you know, there were side quests in the first game, but it's more like it's less, oh, you have to like spend hours breeding the chocobos or whatever, grinding out golden saucer and more like oh this person wants you to find four cats or shit like that um so you know there is definitely a sense that there is like padding um and like really kind of like i said lengthening sequences that both because they're like doing fully voiced cutscenes, and because you know the combat is more action oriented and because they're like sort of stretching things out maybe more artificially than that as well they're really sort of luxuriating and that's in that space um, mm. in a way that like, I think mostly works. Like I, like I said, I'm somebody who, you know, for years people wanted a final fantasy seven remake. And I was like, I, I mean with, with any remake like this, I'm like, no game needs a remake, but if it comes out and it's good, great. Um, so I was, you know, kind of ambivalent about it. And then it's, it feels good in the hands, but there are, there are things where it, you definitely feel them trying to stretch it out because they want they want to hit like thirty hours or whatever. This is where you say something, Josh. <laughs> I played the demo once, and <laughs> the hack and slash mechanics threw me off real bad because I was like, "Isn't this supposed to be an RPG?" <laughs> well, that's one of the things that's interesting about the combat is that it, it is like the hack and slash, but there's also I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it. Um, You know, you do have like this, you do have spells and abilities and summons and stuff. And you're trying to, one of the, one of the tricks to the combat is also every enemy has a stagger meter, right? And especially with bigger enemies, you're trying to like figure out what the, what they're weak to and 
really pour that on so that then they are staggered and they take a bunch of big damage, right? So it's like there is sort of that JRPG um, menu-based kind of move selection. Tactics. It's just, yeah, it's just also paired with, okay, we're, it's also mostly all in real time, but sometimes you can sort of like slow down the action to a crawl and say, okay, Cloud has to do this. I'm playing as Tifa maybe, so I'm going to have her do this and then Barrett is going to do his so it's a little thing. Kingdom Hearts evolution, sort of, of yeah. The, the combat, yeah, it feels very much in line with um, that kind of strain. Or like Final Fantasy fifteen was a little similar too, if you played that. So yeah, I mean, the the combat is maybe like the best part of it, and the rest of it's fine too. But there, like I said, there's you know there's times where they're like, ooh, that was a cool iconic like background we made for the first game, but now it's like a whole there's a whole sequence of robot arms that you have to puzzle through as opposed to just, Oh, what an interesting detail in the background of this screen. And I I've been a video game boy too. Um, I recently just finished a playthrough of the mass effect trilogy, uh, legendary edition played femship paragon, uh, storyline. And I will still maintain that the mass effect trilogy is like 99.8% a fantastic classic video game trilogy. I still hate the endings. (laughs) The endings just, they don't feel like a win for me in any scenario. And like, I get the sacrifice play is kind of inevitable with these kind of games, but none of them feel like the sacrifice is worth it. Mm. And I I don't want to relitigate mass effect three, nine, eight, seven years later, however long it's been. Twelve. Um, it's been it's been longer. Twelve, yeah, twelve. Because wow. I I played that before I ever met Ricky. Mass Effect Three, especially, they refine the gameplay mechanic uh, so well. Um, I love the Omniblade inclusion. the The combat is really good. I love the quick the quick select of your teammates' abilities, um, which they introduced that in Mass Effect Two. But um, I love that series so much, and it it this time around it served as my palate cleanser. Because I had abandoned Tears of the Kingdom. I just I couldn't keep going. I couldn't keep powering through. And I just needed something that I knew I would enjoy. And so I booted up uh, the Legendary Edition on my Steam Deck. And it just... It's everything I needed it to be. Except the ending. It still leaves a bad taste in my mouth. But I'll I'll deal with that 0.02% or 0.2% of a bad experience i don't even want to say bad game it's a bad experience for me some people love it and that's well within their right Uh, but for me it's not the endings that i want or need in this scenario but yeah that's that's one of the things i've been doing yeah i played through the legendary edition as well when it first came out in i want to say 2019 2020 i forget when it when it actually hit but I also took that as an opportunity to replay all the games and you know, I don't, I don't know if they, they totally hold up, but they are very solid. You know, this, I think I did all that before a couple, a while back we did the 15th anniversary episode about mass effect. So some of this is yeah with Dan from casting views. Yeah. Some of this is perhaps, um, you know what I said back then, or maybe it's the opposite and I've, I'm being a hypocrite without realizing it. I don't know. Um, (laughs) But it was a good time. It was like the first time I had played most of the DLC for Mass Effect 2 and 3, aside from like whatever they gave you for free. 
because of the time they were like trying to get people to buy the games new. So they did the thing where it's like, if you buy it new, there's a free DLC pack and also access to the multiplayer or whatever, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But like, I never really picked up, I never paid extra for like the Shadow Broker DLC or, you know, the Citadel DLC from Mass Effect 3. Citadel so was, DLC is so good. Yeah. So it was I, really nice to finally go back and see all that stuff in context too. Yeah, I, I, the Citadel DLC is probably my favorite DLC of all, I think, like four or five that they did. I think they did one DLC pack for Mass Effect 1, then they did two for the respective sequels. Um, but the the Citadel DLC just nails everyone's characterizations and they bring back everyone. Uh, the only regret I have with my most recent playthrough is that I forgot to finish the Miranda mission in Mass Effect 3. So oh. she didn't get an invite to my party. Oh, no. <laughs> and I was like, no, Yvonne Stravowski has to be at my party. <laughs> but I couldn't I couldn't go and replay the DLC after I had already completed it. And then the very next mission was the Miranda mission. And I was like, that's why she wasn't on my invite list. <laughs> and that and she's going to hate me forever. I'm sorry, Yvonne Stravowski. The, the biggest, the my biggest whiff when I replayed it was like, you know, Mass Effect 3 originally had this really cool multiplayer mode um, that was like tied into the main story. And like, I love that the, the multiplayer mode for Mass Effect 3 is so good. Yeah. And there's like it, it factored into the in the third game. You have this what they call galactic readiness score that d- kind of helps determine in the background, you know, how some things shake out and also which ending you get. And they took it out. They took out the the multiplayer for the um uh excuse me re-release and they just sort of re rebalanced all those the single player points so that it all evened out and it was like a thing where i think i missed like there are certain points in the game where you have all these side missions that factor into that score and at certain points it's like those side missions little little nothing missions kind of fall off you can't do them anymore Mm -hmm. and i think i missed i think i lost like three of them at the end of like the first act or whatever and i was like oh whatever that's fine only come to find out later that i was like five points shy of like the perfect score to get the best ending and i was like yep god damn it i don't care my shepherd survived i don't <laughs> which care even, which even the best ending the quote-unquote perfect ending that you can get through the destruction ending still doesn't work for me because you destroy all synthetics which like Losing Edie doesn't make sense to me because she's an artificial intelligence that has is remotely controlling a synthetic android. So like the fact that Edie is completely gone makes no sense to me because she's not a synthetic. She's an artificial intelligence. So like that's another nitpick that I have with some of these endings. I think there is a way and I, you know, this is all based on recollections of when I was like frantically Googling around the time that this I did this playthrough and realized I whiffed it, but I think there is a way where like Shepard survives the Geth and the the Tali race. I forget their name. Quarians. Quarians. Thank you. They all live in peace and like I think there is there is a way to throw that needle, but I forget which option it is and like what there you have are to two do. endings where um you have the synthesis ending and then you have the um amalgamation ending whatever you want to call it where shepherd basically uploads spoilers for mass effect three <laughs> um in the in the i think it's the blue ending shepherd uploads 
their consciousness into the Reapers, but it essentially just uploads their moral compass into the Reapers and whatever is made of Shepard is kind of lost, similar to what happens with the Geth and Legion. And so like Shepard technically no longer exists, but their moral code now is in the Reapers and the Reapers like stop the destruction. They help to rebuild a better society. And then there's the synthesis ending where everyone just becomes synthetics and therefore the Reapers mission is no longer uh, viable. It it, like, it it makes no sense because no one is organic, but there's also synthetic life that is existing. And like that one feels like a loss to me too, because you're abandoning for lack of a better word, the galaxy's humanity. And you're like, the idea is that eventually everyone, the society would evolve into being hybrid synthetics anyway. So you're just pushing that evolution to that point. And it just, it doesn't feel like the right ending to me. I think the, the, the blue ending that I just talked about where Shepard uploads their consciousness, that's the one that I probably lean towards more, but again, it still feels cheap. Sure. That's Shepard. Shepard's the last one that has to die in this sequence. And an essence of them survives, but not in any truly meaningful way besides the Reapers stop doing what they're doing. Yeah. Those endings are so interesting just because like, you know, I totally, you know, I, I personally am fine with them. I'm not like, Oh, I love this, but I'm not like, I despise it either. But it is also so interesting because I can, I can at least understand how, maybe not the specifics of the endings, but how they like it boils down to like a not quite binary choice. And I'm, this is almost certainly something I would have said in that previous episode, because like, you know, I think, I think especially in the Xbox 360 and PS3 era of consoles, there is just no way to like truly account for everything mm-hmm. that you may, that players may or may not have done. So like they have to like boil it down to, okay, the point at which all that is factoring into your gameplay is over. And now it's just Shepard picking one of three things that largely is a predetermined outcome. Although with the expanded ending, I think they also added some flavor where like, Oh, well maybe the Geth survive or maybe Shepard sort of survives or whatever else, you know? So it is, it is one of those things where like, okay, you know, I, I understand why people were maybe upset, but also I understand why that happens, right? It's just an interesting case. So yeah, that that's one of the things I've been doing. Matt, what you been doing? Me? Oh gosh. I was just going to say before that, I'm, I also recently came into possession of a Steam Deck and one of the things I was gifted as part of that was the Legendary Edition on that platform. I'm and now I'm thinking about playing it again. It handles <laughs> really, it handles really well. Cause it, like I said, I played it on my Steam Deck and uh, I think that's the only way I could have completed a, a playthrough in my current lifestyle because yeah. I have three kids that also want to play video games and I am very tired at the end of the day. So like <laughs> having the steam deck to play in bed or like whenever I take a break at work or whenever I have 20 minutes to sit down and just do nothing. Um, it took me about a month to go through. I, I logged, I did the math. It took me a little under 20, a little over 20 hours to do mass effect one. 24 hours for Mass Effect 2 and uh, 23 hours for Mass Effect 3. And that's me because I've played these games so many times, like I'm skipping dialogue and doing other things. Um, But I I think that is 
the, that Mass Effect one playthrough, especially, I think that is the fastest I've ever completed that game. Yeah, I um, I think that was pretty close to what I was where I was at too when I played them. And I think I picked them up on Xbox a couple a few years back. But I am, you know, now I'm itching to play them again. I don't know if I quite have I'm ready for a playthrough because I just did them all a few years ago. But I as we were talking about that, I was like, oh wait a second, somebody sent me that and. Those are good games. It plays really well. I, I will say that it, it transitions to the Steam Deck very well. Um, I you know I I'm I really have just been gamer boy this this past little while. And something else I've been playing a lot recently is Golden Sun, which is an RPG from the Game Boy Advance era that they recently um, finally dropped onto the Nintendo Switch online service. They announced it when they first announced they were launching that in February 2023. And every month since then, I've been like, all right, where is it? And it was not until January that they were like, okay, fine. Here you here you fucking go, idiot. <laughs> um, Reggie is really withholding in his love. Um, <laughs> That's what good dads do. They just yeah. they hold back their love and they hold back their rewards. Yeah, I'm learning that. Um, but yeah, if you don't know, it, Golden Sun is, I think it was 2001. It's an RPG on the Game Boy Advance that was, it's a pretty generic RPG. Um, it's, you know, you play Isaac and his buddies and they have to go out and find MacGuffins to save the world. And it's a fantasy world and you run around and do random battles and go to a town and they've got an issue that you have to solve to forward the quest and you do it and there you go. But, um, you know, it's an RPG that I really, really loved when it first hit on the Game Boy Advance. Um, so I'm, I was, I've been enjoying revisiting it at times where it's like you know it's it's pretty simple and i have not i've played it before so i'm just like okay i'll throw on a tv show or my obligatory star trek reference for the episode or a youtube (laughs) or whatever and then play that while that's on in the background and stuff and it's been fun and they dropped golden sun and its sequel golden sun the lost age which is a game that years and years ago I was in the process of playing the hell out of on the Game Boy Advance, but my Game Boy Advance with that cartridge in it was stolen, so I've never finished it. So I'm hoping eventually I can finally right that wrong. But yeah, you know, I don't I don't have a ton to rant about or rave about. It's just a solid little nostalgia RPG that I'm I'm digging on. Alex, what you doing? I have been playing a game called nobody saves the world with my wife. Yeah. That's a good game. Yeah. It's from the, uh, the studio that made the guacamole, uh, guacamole games. One and two. They're kind of like Metroidvania games, except this one is like an old school RPG where you're this big eyed, um, well, no eyed character called no, that everybody calls nobody who just happens to stumble across a wand and now is in charge of saving the world. And at every turn, everybody remarks that you don't wear pants and that you're not the person actually saving the world. So you're, oh, you're somebody's assistant. Oh, you're this, which is just great. And the crux of the game is as you explore the world, you complete challenges to unlock um, to unlock animal forms. Like if you can turn into a horse, you can kick people. If you, you turn into a mouse, you run around with like giant chompy teeth, which is so satisfying because there's a little mouse on the screen and when it chomps, it makes these big giant teeth. Um, when we unlock the turtle, 
immediately both of us like this is the best thing in the world the turtle's fantastic it can swim super fast and it's a adorable animation because when it's in the water like lifts its head up and looks all happy swimming super fast gets on land kind of like oh okay i'm gonna turtle but then you pop into your shell and you jab people uh (laughs) it's it just it's fun it's 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 clever it's cute it's it's a couch co-op game and i uh it was a playstation plus free game a few months ago and I will say it has the most unoffensive DLC encouragement I've come across. We enter this part of the world as we're exploring and we're looking through the and we're looking through these like catacombs and we come across this ritual that's happening. And everybody's like, oh, okay, well, if you can change animal forms, you should join. We we will give you two new ones if you can win our tournaments. Like, okay. And as you get to the tournament gates, it pops up and says, Do you, have you paid your your fee for joining the tournament? And it's like and it says no. So I click no. And the PlayStation 5 store pops up and says, would you like to buy the DLC? (laughs) (laughs) And if you say no, you reject it. It's like, well, you can't do the tournament then, but you can play golf. (laughs) Go into a golf (laughs) minigame. It's just fun. It's a great way to kill like, you know, an hour, hour and a half. It's challenging enough where you start unlocking like evolutions where you can mix and match abilities. And I, I, I love it. Matt, you played it, you said? Yeah, I played it when I think when it first hit, it was on Game Pass, and I, I really enjoyed the Guacamelee game, so I checked it out. And I, I, I don't think I finished it, but I played a lot of it, and I, um, I also really enjoyed it. Um, just the vibes were great, beautiful art style, and like a weird art style too, no, which, very weird. um, you know, and just some of the weird classes, evolutions, whatever you mm-hmm. want to call them that you unlock, or just like. I forget some of them now, but it's like, oh, there's, there's the wizard, there's the whatchamacallit that you would not maybe expect when you first start the game. And your first thing is like, oh, you can turn into a horse now, like you said. <laughs> yeah. yeah. One of the things I love about it is they put a lot of attention to detail because like, when you first turn into a horse, it, there's other horses nearby and you can go and talk to all the horses. And some yeah. of them like are like, one of them, you get an achievement for like finding lo- love as a horse, <laughs> <laughs> which is just so cute. It's like, it goes some along the lines of as you stare into the eyes, you realize that as a horse, you've never seen quite something so attractive. You get a little achievement, and then you go and talk to like another horse, and just kind of like nays at you, know, at you, uninterested in you. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's just a good time. I like it. Josh, what are you doing? Oh yeah, forgot about that. <laughs> um, I mean. Let's let's keep the video game train rolling. Joey Fitzgerald from the Game Club Pod uh, gifted me a game called Hue, which is a fun little puzzle cl- platformer. H U E. It's kind of in the vein of um, stylistically, it's kind of in the vein of Limbo. Well, I've heard of, I've heard of that Xbox game. Three Sixty yeah. Days. Yeah. Um, but in this game, you're manipulating the color palette of the background to solve environmental puzzles. Which, oh man, this. This game scratched my puzzle itch so good. I love a good puzzle platformer. I love a good puzzle game. And this this game just I beat the main game in about four hours. And then there's a collectible side mission that you can do throughout the game. Um, I just decided to plow through the the main story of the game and then uh, go back through and uh, get the collectibles afterward. But uh it's it's just a really fun game and I'm very appreciative of Joey to to send it even for 8 hours like I was just I was in heaven because this game was just it played really well again I played it on the Steam Deck um but it it handled really well the mechanics work um 
it, basically the idea is the world is black and gray, like kind of like limbo, but this kid and his mom have figured out you can see colors and his mom has gone missing and you're the kid's tasked with trying to find his mom. So he goes through the world and he finds these formulas that she's left behind for him. And that allows him to see the different colors of the world. So like uh, one of the first colors you get, I think is a light blue and there's like light blue boxes or boulders. And when you change the color palette to light blue, they disappear. Now you can walk through them or you can move to the other side of them and then you can pull them to along to where you need them to go to solve the puzzle. Once you change the background back to whatever is not light blue. And it's, it's really weird to explain, but if you watch a trailer for it, or if you get your hands on it really quick and simple to pick up, my kids enjoyed watching me play it. I, I absolutely adored this game. It was, it's a game that I think if you can pick it up for, four or five bucks it's well worth the money i think my wife played that she's really big into playing puzzle games and it sounds familiar the that the collection and changing of hue is to solve the overlapping puzzles i I have vague memories or it was acid one of the two one of the two two. (laughs) so I, i will say that there's a sequence uh towards the last like two sets of puzzles i think or maybe three where um a pipe bursts and yeah it's after you get to the university um there's a janitor who's like oh hey a pipe burst be careful and so i'm like oh do not touch the running water and i went through i think like four or five puzzles where i did not touch the water i did not touch whatever color the water was i got rid of it and just moved on with my time and i solved those puzzles without it and then i got stuck on one puzzle and I'm like, how do I do this without getting touched by the water? Turns out you can get touched by the water. <laughs> <laughs> it's only yeah. the lasers and the spikes that become a problem. <laughs> I haven't had a chance to play it, but it's been my radar and I've heard lots of good things about it, um, including you now. Um, so maybe I might have to finally take the plunge. It's a game that it, it feels like it's got that Nintendo polish where they just thought of everything. Like there's one one of the collectibles you can only get by finishing a puzzle going through a door and then coming back through the door to kind of reset the puzzle. And then you can climb up a bunch of boulders that typically you would need to fall down to complete the puzzle. But now because you're on the other side of the puzzle, you can use them to climb up and then you can go get the the collectible. So it, it thinks of a lot of different ways to stretch your brain too. It's not just, Oh, flip this switch, change this color, flip that switch. I'm done. Um, it, it does a lot to really ease you into the more complex puzzles and it, it just is really good. And I, I've thanked Joey personally through discord, but I'll put it on the record. Thank you so much, Joey, for this game. Um, it, it was a lot of fun. And like I said, it eight hours well spent and I'll probably come back to it at some point this year just to, again, cleanse my palate and hit scratch that puzzle itch. Yeah. Rad. Alex, what you doing? I am patiently waiting for the return of Josh Gates. Now, to the for the uninitiated, Josh Gates has been in our lives for roughly the last let me see. I'm gonna say 16 years. He started on the sci-fi channel hosting like a kind of like a monster hunting show called Destination Truth. 
then he left that uh, left sci-fi after that ran its course to start Expedition Unknown on Travel Channel, which became so watched that it was moved onto Discovery Channel. And he is a joy. He, he the shows are more an excuse for him to go someplace and just be part of the culture, explore what's going around there. Oh yeah, and we're looking for a lost airplane, or oh yeah, apparently Bigfoot's out here or something like that. And the gaps in my in my year were Dest- uh, Expedition Unknown is an on, and and then Expedition X, which is his spinoff rebrand, got some different hosts to kind of like do the paranormal thing. It's terrible, and I will tell you what makes it worse. We've recently, after the last season of uh, Expedition Unknown, decided to cut cable because we realized we watched two channels. And most of the stuff we watched two or three days later on the DVR, which is on Hulu or streaming. So we got rid of that burden and found out that Max does this great thing where most of their shows, the night they air, you can click play. But here's a problem. Expedition X apparently is on some other weird contract where it only releases at the end of its season. And it hurts my heart to have to go four months without Josh Gates. He's called Indiana dad joke on the internet. That's what he's known as. Cause he kind of wears an Indiana dad uh, Jones hat and he makes a bunch of real, really terrible dad jokes. It's a, just it's, it's a pain to this man who's been in my life for 16 years now, just weekly exploring the world. I'm going to be without him for four long, painful months. And you know he's out there. You know, right now he could be out there doing it and you can't you can't watch it. I know. Well the thing about it is like um so during uh the height of the pandemic, he aired a, a weekly TV show called Josh Gates Tonight because they couldn't go exploring but they needed content on discoveries and he would interview people and one of the things is he interviewed Shatner and he's like, Hey, listen, whenever we're done, uh whenever this is kind of over, we should do something. And they did something together for Shark Week. It was fantastic. And we found out that he'd actually been investigating the beast of Bray Road up in Wisconsin at one point during the pandemic. And we didn't realize it. We're like, oh, my gosh, if we would have known, we could have just turned up there and just driven in circles until we found him. Surely the camera crew would give it away. Uh, Now, he does do things like he he does speaking engagements and tours and stuff like that, but. We haven't yet gone there probably because I wouldn't get past security, but you know what? It just Josh Gates, his weekly, you know, just it's a simple put on, enjoy a few jokes, see a beautiful tropical locale, the enthusiasm of the moment of whatever it is he's exploring. It's just, it's a good comfort. Matt, what you doing? Uh, Once again, being living in the gamer zone. And this is probably my big one for, the last couple weeks is um, I've been playing a lot of Alan Wake 2, Ooh. which is um, a game that came out near the end of last year. It is the sequel to uh, Remedy's 2010 game, Alan Wake, um, kind of a cult hit. People have been waiting for a sequel to it for a long time, and I think there were some sort of false starts that I think people kind of didn't expect it was ever going to happen. Um so this game takes place, um, you know, many years after the end of Alan Wake, where 
an FBI agent and her partner shows up to Bright Falls, which is the town from the first game, to investigate a series of disappearances and murders that seem to be um, being done by some kind of cult activity. And that quickly gets very weird, very supernatural, very strange. And then it becomes, starts to intersect with, um, you know, Alan Wake himself, which who, I guess, spoilers, at the end of the first game was sort of trapped in this weird dimension where he, his writing, he's an author, is like, impacts the world around him. Like, it, you know, art influences reality and he's stuck here and he's like, okay, I'll write my way out. And then in this game it's like well how does this weird cult stuff intersect with alan wake who's still missing are we going to find him what's this weird dimension he's in things like that um and it is just like you know it's the it's not the the best game ever played in terms of like how it feels to play some of the combat can be sketchy there's a couple like late game sequences that feel slightly too frustrating in a unforgiving kind of way but the vibes are immaculate. Something Remedy has been toying with recently and that really kind of culminates here. Um, you saw it a lot in their previous game, Control, which also was great, is this sort of mixed media approach where you have, you know, it's a, it's a video game, so it's, you know, polygons and graphics and whatever else. But then also, once in a while, it is, there's a live action scene and that, or that live action scene is spliced in with the gameplay in some way, either because there's a screen that's playing something live action or like there's a weird, you know, mystical thing you're seeing where it's like a live action scene is overlaid over the screen that you're playing. And it's just like a weird eerie kind of vibe. Um, there's a game that has like multiple musical sequences that are incredible. Um, it's a game where Sam Lake, who is the like the writer and director of the game, plays um, three different characters, including one who is essentially just Max Payne from the video game Max Payne, and then also playing the actor who plays that character in a movie, and then also playing an FBI agent in the real world who has the same name as the fictional Max Payne character. It's like just it's like a weird, twisty, like surreal game where the vibes are like, you know, what what is reality? Like, is the stuff that we are experiencing real or is it like part of the story that's being written? And like which of which of the things that we understand to be the truth is actually reality? Um and then also you're running around and, you know, shooting monsters and stuff. So they're pulling in Oceans 12? Is that what you're saying? I don't know if I know what that means. Can you clarify? <laughs> Julia Roberts impersonates Julia Roberts? <laughs> well, kind of, yeah. It's it's just like a weird thing. And part of this, too, is like... Um, Seems like Remedy. a weird pull to get Marky Mark to show up in a video <laughs> game like that. <laughs> it was a really weird uh, cameo. I'll give him that. But it's also like, you know, um, Remedy has always loved like doing little Easter eggs to their previous games or like call forwards and things like that. And this is sort of like the ultimate culmination of that, where it's like, we're referencing, um, you know, we're doing deep cut references that if you know it, you you're like, Oh, I, 
that was from that that one game, but it's also just a total thing in passing where they're like, you know, they're tying their their weird little universe together in ways that are really interesting and fascinating. And um, I sounds don't know, like they're just, taking the lower decks approach. <laughs> ex- expand on that. Well, like you, you're always dumbfounded at how I can watch lower decks and enjoy it despite all the references and little nuances to the larger Star Trek universe. And I'm just like, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't know these things. So it just feels like a one-off reference to something that I'm like, I'm sure that's something, or at least it makes sense to someone who is invested in this universe. But for yeah, me, I'm having fair. fun. Yeah, that's fair. I'm, I'm trying to think of the words to describe it because, you know, it is just a really gripping game and things were like, you know, there's a musical sequence where you were like running through this weird surreal area that is um, like the back backstage area of a TV studio. But like all there's all kinds of screens around that is playing like a basically a music video where the the actors who play these characters are like dancing and singing this song about Alan Wake's life in live action. And it it just rules. It's hard to describe. It's, it's hard to describe in words because it's such a visual experience, but that's just something that like Remini as a studio does really well, where they're like interested in playing with, you know, mixed media stuff really. Um, and just like surreal humor. It's just, it's, it's great. I love it. Yeah. I liked control and I heard that they're, set the same universe or there's acknowledgments of it, but I never got around to playing Elwake one. Elwake two is a game where like, it definitely is a sequel to Alan Wake where it's like, they're referencing what happened in the previous game. There are things that I think, and you know, Alan Wake is a game that I played and I, I was not personally that into it when I played it. Um, but control was good enough. And like the vibes of Alan Wake two look so good that I was, really into this one um so i don't i don't know how well it would work if you don't have like some familiarity with what happens in alan wake but i also think they basically give you enough to get by it's just there's maybe some things here and there that you don't maybe quite pick up on as oh that's following up on this thing from alan wake one or that's a character from alan wake one who is showing up again or whatever so josh what you doing um, I'm going to go in a little bit of an offshoot of not of what we've been talking about, but what people might expect of me, because a couple of what you're doing ago, uh, we talked about the miraculous ladybug and cat noir movie that was on Netflix. That was unexpectedly a musical. Yeah. Uh, I was vaguely familiar with the franchise at that point when the, the movie came out, I was like, I'll watch the movie, whatever it's, it's going to be 90 minutes of my day. My kids are going to enjoy it. Um, but I got. I got uh, the last airbender, as I like to call it, where Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) I get curious about something that's been adapted into a movie because I somewhat famously in my friend circle, uh, I kind of refuse to watch Avatar The Last Airbender because uh, a former co-worker of Matt and or Matt and mine, um, she had Stephanie. It's so weird (laughs) Um, that that was her catchphrase. she famously was like really pushing me to watch Avatar The Last Airbender. And she just she was this coworker of ours that not everyone in the store enjoyed. 
because she was, as she loves to say, so weird. <laughs> and so I'm like, I'm not I'm not watching anything this this chick is recommending to me. <laughs> and then the last Airbender movie came out and I was like, OK, I kind of got to see what this is about, because there's no way they decided to make a movie this bad based on something that is maybe equally as bad. So I went and like found it on Netflix and I binged the entire series in like three and a half days because I was wow. just like so enthralled with it. I had like a weekend off and I was I just watched it nonstop and I loved it. And so with Ladybug, I thought the premise was cute is it's it's the magical girl Sailor Moon kind of concept girl gets special abilities for whatever reason and she saves the day with her not quite love interest, maybe love interest, who in this case is Cat Noir, not Tuxedo Mask. So I'm like, okay, let's see what the TV show is like, because the movie seemed like it kind of mashed the series finale with the season finale or the premiere. So it's like origin story and finale and season one and two are very campy, very Power Rangers, Sailor Moonish, but the show starts to kind of grow with its audience. It's starting in season three and uh, going into season four. And it's really adorable. The the way that Christina V portrays um, Marinette and Ladybug is just adorable and fantastic and fairly realistic, but it's still cartoonish and campy. Um, but the the one thing I really wanted to bring up, which first I'll bring up, like it's a show that doesn't take itself too seriously and it knows what it is and it's having fun with it. Like I sent Alex and Justin a thing where uh, a video clip where they do a Ghostbusters homage. Um, there's one villain who is their science teacher uh, who is sees Ladybug and Cat Noir and like, back off, kids. I'm a scientist. And then Ladybug and Cat Noir make a plan. And uh, Cat Noir is like, I love this plan. I'm happy to be a part of it. And they go and do the plan. Uh, so it's it's cool to see that they do these little Easter eggs. Um, but there's one episode in particular, I believe it's in season four, where a newer character uh, is really sad because the person she's, the person she's in love with is going to be moving on into high school and not going to be in the same middle school with her anymore. Marinette assumes that it's the person she's in love with Adrian, because of course he's the most popular kid in school. So it's gotta be him. And throughout the course of the episode, she's Marinette is kind of intentionally sabotaging Zoe's attempts to procro proclaim her love to whoever Marinette's just, just again, assuming that it's Adrian turns out at the end of the episode, Zoe is in love with Marinette, mm. which I think is very progressive of a kid's show, but the way the scene is handled as well is just absolutely beautiful and not something I would expect from a show like this. Uh, so like Marinette's like, you go tell Adrian you're in love with him. I'm not going to get in your way anymore. Zoe says, it's not Adrian I'm in love with. Marinette gets confused, looks at her and says, who are you in love with? And the camera changes back over to Zoe. She looks up and you see Marinette reflected in her eyes and just beautiful Aww. animation for what is a very cheaply animated show. And Marinette just like you see you, the music changes. She gets she calms down and she just is like, thank you. She just thanks her for her love. She can't reciprocate it because she, she is not bi or gay, 
but she doesn't just be like, Oh my goodness, you can't be in love with me and be like really awkward. Can't be about it. She acknowledges that this person has feelings and just says, thank you. And I thought that was beautiful. Hmm. Yeah. I don't think I've heard of this before you or have mentioned it before, but that's sounds cute and sweet. It's very cute. Very sweet. Um, the merchandise is adorable as well. My kids have been collecting some dolls recently. Um, and I'm like not at all embarrassed to say that I enjoy this show, but I, I, as, as far as ladybug goes, I, I would definitely recommend anyone check it out. You, it's going to be campy. Think sailor moon. It's magical girl stuff. It's 14 year olds thinking they found the loves of their lives. So like they're, it, it's very aimed at a certain demographic, but it is very sweet and it's very genuine. And I think that it's, it's a show that, maybe it won't be viewed as timeless, but there is going to be a segment of people similar to like, I'm wearing my power Rangers shirt right now. There's going to be a certain segment of people that will fondly remember the show and come back to it with their kids. Matt, anything else you doing? Oh, I've got a couple things. I guess maybe the biggest thing that I have been up to, and I won't luxuriate uh, too much about this because it wasn't when I came in thinking I would talk about, but I've been really into watching The Sopranos lately. Oh, ho. Um, I have seen most of it before um, when I was a much younger person. And I was mostly like, oh, a show with violence and nudity. Well, how cool. Isn't that great? So some of the like deeper or more complicated stuff, like right over my head at the time. And I've always meant to like go back and finish it because I never, you know, saw the the, the final couple seasons. So I, you know, just did a did a watch through. I started over, and I've been watching it maybe for the last couple months, off and on here and there. And it's just, it's a, it's you don't need me to tell you, but it's a very good television show. Um. You know, it's the show that sort of like broke open the floodgates of what we call prestige TV. And I think like you can totally see why. Um, it's just, it's deep and it's like funny, weirdly enough, and like scary and not like scary, scary, not like a horror movie, but like, you know, characters can become very scary and um, just like violent and interesting it's like full of complex characters who are not like good people but the show is like treating them as full humans who like are not just total monsters or like saints for lack of a better word Mm -hmm. so yeah i have been been vibing on it so quick question about the sopranos yeah you have seen it all before or you have not seen it all before when i was younger i saw um I think it was the first four seasons. Okay. Just various ways to like renting DVDs and stuff. Um, and, you know, I know basically the broad strokes of the rest of the stuff. Like I know the infamous things that, that happen. It's just hard to pick it, not pick it up. But, you know, I, I have not, we have not quite gotten to anything I have not seen yet. We're nearing the end of season four. Okay. So it's still a little bit before I go into like fully uncharted territory. So it's all, it's all stuff that I was like vaguely remembering as having happened, having seen it, but also because like I said, I was not necessarily watching and understanding 
some of the complexities of it. It was more like, ooh, once in a while they're at a strip club and they they show the, the naked ladies because I was a young <laughs> a young man. And sometimes somebody gets whacked and isn't that cool? That's obviously the point of the show, right? Well, not quite, but I'm digging it. If I remember the series ended while we were in high school and I remember our uh, our journalism teacher being very very invested in the finale. I don't remember what his reaction was, but I remember he was like, I can't wait. I think it was, I think it was on while we were in high school, but it might've ended after. Cause I think it ended in 2007. 2007. Yeah. So a couple of years okay. later, but there's, I definitely remember like we'd go in on Monday morning or whatever and chatting it up with our uh, journalism teacher. He'd be like, ah, oh, crazy thing happened in the Sopranos this week or, <laughs> other show that we're talking about. Um, yeah. I, I just remember him being very invested in the Sopranos. Uh, I, I thought yeah. maybe it was the the finale that was really getting him. It was sort of inspired by, and you know, this is maybe a bit of a tangent, but something I've realized if I have a, about myself is if I have a show like that, that's all in front of me or like if Netflix drops an entire season at once, I am very easily distracted unless I can find a way to like apply some kind of structure onto it. Um, <laughs> so that's one of the reasons, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts that are like goofy watch along podcasts. Like, Oh, we're going to talk, we're going to watch four episodes of clone wars and talk about them. So that gives me a structure to like, okay, I'm watching four episodes ahead of this podcast. And then I listen to the podcast and watch the next ones. Um, there's a TV critic who I followed for a long time, Alan Sepinwall and I can't remember his co-author on this book, but he wrote a book of essays that was like an episode by episode essay of every episode of the Sopranos where they're writing about the individual episodes. And I picked up the book cause it was, it was cheap. And then I was like, Oh, this is like what I'm finally going to do to get through this thing. So I don't get distracted. So it's been very useful to like, I watch an episode then I read the, the passage about it. And then the next day I come back and watch an episode or two and read the stuff about it. So it's called the Soprano Sessions. Not a sponsor, but could be. <laughs> um, you know, if you care to do that kind of weird thing that I also do. Well, I'm really glad you mentioned watch alongs, because uh, Josh recently did a poll on Twitter if they would, if anyone would listen to a commentary track of Talking Smack, and I'm happy to announce that yes, we will be doing a watch along commentary track. Of the three amigos. <laughs> oh wow! Okay. All oh, right. that that's that's definitely one of them. I was I've been debating what our first one is. Um, three amigos is actually a really good suggestion. Uh, our friends over at Stew World Order, um, they were like, "Oh yeah, I mean that's a big in- time investment, so you got to make sure it's a, a good short one." And uh, I think the three amigos and uh, a goofy movie are a couple oh, that yeah. we, should, we should open with. Is this finally how we get Josh to watch Star Trek? Where we, <laughs> the talking Trek, we watch an episode <laughs> a week? We'll do an audio comment. Well, I'm not doing the TV series, at least. I don't think anyone wants to invest in that right away. <laughs> um, but it's it's just, it's a project that I've been wanting to do for a while, but I I don't know how we branch it off. Uh, maybe we just borrow a a, a play from the, the Game Club Pod playbook where we just release them with different thumbnails under the same RSS feed and people can listen if they want to, mm. but I don't want to bog sure. down the RSS so that everyone's like, Oh, this one. No, <laughs> they already said that enough with the regular episodes. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm going to continue our unsponsored, but should be uh max 
uh, segment by with my last what am I doing? I'm watching True Detective. Now, the first season of True Detective, I was behind. I was behind the ball a lot. I didn't have HBO or anything like that, but I picked up the Blu-rays after a friend told me that hey, this is like you know weird Lovecraftian mystical stuff and you like matthew mcconaughey and woody harrelson like yeah it was great i, I dug it and you should, then, play you should play out like too i actually plan on it uh yeah. in my uh playstation plus uh catalog is alan wake one the remaster and once i finish that i will um similar vibes i guess that's what i'm getting at yeah yeah i know lewis really loved the first alan wake so back to your thing. I didn't mean to bring it back to <laughs> no, my, my thing. <laughs> True Detective season uh, season two it was an anthology thingy, and I, I've heard meh. Three was I've heard some more positive things about, but again, anthology nothing really connected to one. But this season, the original creator is hands off, and uh, Issa Lopez has taken the reins put together she has written directed all the episodes brought in jodie foster and fiona shaw brought in the ninth doctor christopher eccleston and also brought in uh professional boxer uh kaylee reyes who is surprising for having a career as a boxer and only done like two things before co-starring as the co-lead of this prestige drama show alongside jodie foster fantastic the reason why i'm watching this is because my wife casually mentioned, ooh, did you hear about a show that was filmed in Iceland? Because we honeymooned in Iceland and love Iceland. But they're the bad guys from <laughs> Mighty Ducks 2. <laughs> they are. And I was like, what show? And she says, the new True Detective. And so we sit down to watch the first episode, which starts off bizarre. Uh, of course, you know, weird mystical things are happening. And she then looks at me and says, I have to finish this, don't I? I'm like, yep. You told me to put this on, and now we're doing this together. <laughs> <laughs> and she's invested. <laughs> it It's the entire show. Basically, the premise is for this season, it is in, set in Alaska. The basically 30 days of night have started far north. And Jodie Foster and uh, Keely Riss is our... Uh, police detectives investigating a disappearance slash possible murder that happens at a outpost station, like what, like research station, very much like uh, the thing. And it gets weird and it gets really heavy and it is a fun and gorgeous show to watch because I don't know how they can make night consistently look compelling, but they do. <laughs> <laughs> So what about you, Josh? You got anything le- left for what you're doing? I just, I was just going to say real quick to once again, pull it back to my thing. It's funny that you mentioned your wife and the way she came in. Cause like when we're watching the Sopranos, I started the Sopranos as like just a thing I was doing. Uh, not, you know, not possessive about it, but just like, Oh, you know, I'm watching it in my free time. And then, you know, my wife would be hanging out like near the end of the second season. And now it's like, Oh, this is a show we watch together. <laughs> she has become fully, fully hooked. And, you know, it'll be like after the baby's gone to bed, she's like, you want to watch The Sopranos? <laughs> so, Very cool. Anyway. Well, I'll hop on the uh, I'm watching this with the the wife train here. Um, Spy Family, uh, the anime based off the manga. Um, they've I think they've finished season two. I'm not quite sure. Um 
but it's it's a lot of fun. It, basically, the idea is it's set in this fictional universe where uh, it's kind of like Batman, the animated series where it's modern day, but it's modern day 1955. So they have like some modern technology, but also they they scale it back a little bit. So there's like no cell phones or anything like that. But everyone behaves kind of like modern people. They just uh, they're set in a, a, a world where technology kind of like peaked at this point. So they're just like, yeah, we're good here. Um, but you have a spy from uh, Estonia, if I remember correctly. Uh, and then there's West Dallas, which um, is the country that the show takes place in. And uh, so the Estonian spy named Twilight moves to West Dallas because there's um, there's rumblings that maybe they're going to try that there's going to be a a coup and there's going to be an uprising in the government that's eventually going to kick off a war with Estonia. So he's he's there trying to make sure that that doesn't happen by infiltrating the school, uh, the grade school of one of the lead general who is thought to be part of this um, coup plot. And so what he has to do is he has to get a family to be less suspicious of this oppressive government. So he adopts, uh, unknowingly adopts a psychic daughter who is named Anya and she's adorable. And he creates a, a marriage of convenience with, again, unknowingly, an assassin who works to retain peace in West Dallas as well. And so the entire show is kind of about how they're all just trying to hide what makes them unique and special while presenting themselves as like a normal everyday person. And Anya is kind of the weird middle ground because she's aware of everyone's secrets, but no one's aware of her secrets. So hilarity ensues with certain things. Um, Season one kind of peters out a little bit at some point because they decide to break up the family dynamic and just send uh, Twilight, who is the, the dad on his own mission. And he has this weird, like three or four episode arc where he's just in a, an underground tennis tournament with a partner of his. And it's, it's fun, but it's not interesting given the premise of the show. And then, um, in season two, there's a similar like four or five episode arc where the entire family's on a yacht or not a yacht. Um, a cruise and in this scenario Anya and Twilight the dad are kind of having their own adventure while the mom is doing her assassin thing but also being a bodyguard so they kind of put a twist on what her her typical actions are in her secret life but it's a lot of fun I would definitely recommend it for anyone who is interested in watching an anime that uh, it's a little bit of slice of life, but also goes into hyper realism and a lot of fun action sequences. My favorite episode is in season one where they celebrate that Anya got into this prestigious grade school for kids. And uh, so they rent out a castle and they let her play out this like spy fantasy she has. Oh, and so Twilight has to he uses all of his like <laughs> his resources as a, a high ranking spy to get like henchmen and other people to pretend to be the bad guys for her. And, um, your, who is the mom and the assassin 
she gets really drunk. <laughs> and so she's she's playing a henchman to the, the main bad guy. And at one point she starts facing off with Twilight. She's just really bought into the character because of how drunk she is. And she starts fighting him and Twilight's like, what the hell is happening? Like, she's going to kill me. And then she like whiffs on a kick and falls over and just falls asleep on the ground. Yeah, that's another one that I remember. I think I made a big splash um, like online a little while ago <laughs> that I've heard lots of good things about. And I have just never quite gotten around to watching it, but it's on my on my radar. Yeah, I've been watching it on Ricky and I have been watching it on Crunchyroll, not a sponsor, but should uh, be. quickly should be becoming <laughs> a sponsor. Um, if, if no one else has anything else, I'm just going to quickly dive into this too, because, um, it's on the thumbnail and I'm not going to change it again. Uh, Matt <laughs> and I have been reading the new ultimate Spider-Man, yes. which very interesting first issue. And Marvel is very clearly building up to something with this because they've been teasing a bunch of other of the ultimate heroes. I think they've revealed the ultimate Iron Man suit as well as the new ultimate Black Panther suit. Yeah, and I think they are launching, I think they have announced so far an Ultimate Black Panther book and possibly a new Ultimate X-Men book. And, you know, we talked about it previously in our 2024 uh, Look Ahead episode, but they did a miniseries last year that was like stage setting called Ultimate Invasion that sort of like establishes the world. And then they did a one-shot further establishing the world just called ultimate universe, which I have not read, but I it's possible like they introduced other version, new versions of these characters there that I've not seen. Yeah. I, I, the first issue of ultimate Spider-Man though is classic Jonathan Hickman stuff. It sets up a much bigger story, uh, kind of a slow burn, but it also does a really good job of like, it's like, it's a very good pilot episode. It yeah. does enough to get you invested in the world, let you see what the differences are compared to the regular Marvel universe. And it leaves you off on a really big hook of like, yeah, I need to know what happens next because uh, minor spoilers for this first issue of ultimate Spider-Man 2024. We don't see Spider-Man in this issue. Yeah. Peter Parker is just a family man who works at the daily bugle with his uncle Ben and J Jonah Jameson. And, uh, he's just kind of feeling adrift. Like he's just kind of going through the motions. He's got his family. He's got his wife, like everything should be perfect, but he feels like he's missing something. And at the end of the issue, he gets a message from, uh, who uh, we assume he is a deceased Tony Stark. And he's like, Hey, you wonder why you're feeling so blue and so down. It's because you were meant for something greater. Here's a radioactive spider. Go make your choice. Yeah. It's basically the pitch is basically, what if Spider-Man as midlife crisis sort of where like it's a, it's a version of the world where he never was bitten as a teenager and he is not like unhappy with his marriage or his life. He's just like, like you said, something's missing. And then somebody shows up and says, maybe this is the missing piece. And, you know, I think the, the first issue makes it clear that he takes, he goes for it, but as of yet, only issue one is out. It's possible as of this recording that it, the second issue is out this week. I don't know. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's due out. If not the, the day this episode comes out, it's due out relatively soon before the end of February. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a big Jonathan Hickman fan and I have affection for the ultimate universe, even though it's like a very different take on it than the one we're used to. 
Um, so I was really, in, I was really into that first issue. I was, I was really into it. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm very excited to see what they do with uh, ultimate black Panther as well. Matt, you got any more, what you doing? No, nope, nope, nope. All right. Well, do you want to plug the discord and we'll get out of here? Sure. Yeah. You know, um, discord is, we have, we have a discord. It's a cool <laughs> place to come hang out. Um, if you like what we do here on Mike and you just want to mix it up via the same way via text, that's a good spot for it. Come hang out. And you can find us on all social media platforms at Talking Smack Pod. That includes Blue Sky, Instagram, Threads, Hive Social, Post News, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, and Lonnie's website. You can email us your thoughts, questions, what you doings at tsmackpod at gmail.com. Alex, who's remixing our theme? Petri Alonco, fresh off of Alan Wake 2. Matt pulled in the big request and got it to do it. <laughs> of my fists. Thank you to Leo Allen for our musical themes, Beppo for our, our original avatars, Retro Ale Studios for our Ricky avatar. Please like, subscribe, rate, review on your podcatcher of choice. And most importantly, thank you again so much for listening. And everyone take care. We will see you next week. Disappoint your legion. I can't say it with the music blasting over me. <laughs> I can fix it in post. Alright, watch Star Trek, Josh, specifically. Watch it. No, actually, Leo Allen, watch Star Trek, colon, Deep Space Nine. Shut up, Happy. Don't feel bad about me. I got my hand back, see? We've only just begun to live White lace and promises A kiss for luck and we're all